At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you've been with us around Wildwood the last few weeks, you know that we are in a new sermon series called Relating To. And this series is based out of Matthew chapters 18 through 20. And in these chapters, Jesus is talking to his disciples and providing some instruction on what it looks like for us to follow him in a variety of areas. We've, we've seen what does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to relate to children or to temptation over the last couple of weeks. Today we're going to look at what does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to relate to the lost. And so that's where we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 verses 10 through 14. But before we look at those verses, I want to just talk for a moment about the last thing you lost. Think of the last thing of value that you lost. Just mull it over in your head for a moment. What, what is that? Was it your child's retainer? You know, they, they wore it when they left home to go to school, but they came home without it. It was lost. Was it your car the last time you went to the mall or last time you flew on a flight and you left it at the airport and you came back and you, did, you could not find where you had left it? Or maybe it wasn't either of those things. Maybe it was your child. You had arranged the meetup point after school or after the program and you go there and your child is not there. They're lost. Or maybe it's the pinnacle of all things lost and important. It was the remote control you sit 10 feet from the screen, unable to control it. And it's just a, a challenging thought, right? Well, what happened when you lost that thing? What happened when you lost it? What did you do? Well, my guess is you reorganized your life and you became on the mission, regardless of the cost, to recover that thing of value. You found yourself dumpster diving in the cafeteria at your child's school, through the chicken fingers and whatever else that stuff was to find that retainer. Or you, you found yourself walking up and down the aisles at the airport, hitting the button, waiting for that familiar click so you could find your car again. Or you picked up the phone and you called all of your friends to find out who your child might have gone home with. Or you tore all of the cushions off of the sofa looking for that remote. See, that feeling and that action that is associated when we lose something of value to us is an experience that all of us can relate to. And it's an experience and a feeling that our Heavenly Father wants to leverage within us. He wants us to remember that feeling so that we would then remember and know something about His heart for us. On multiple occasions, Jesus took a story about someone who lost something of value and used it to teach a point about the Father's heart for the lost. This morning, we're going to see one of those passages where Jesus references a story like that, and it's found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. My desire as we look at these verses today is that we would learn something about the heart of the Father and even that we would learn something as Jesus uses this story in maybe a slightly different way than what we would expect. So if you've got a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be in verses 10 through 14 today. I'll read these verses for us and then we'll back up and look at them more in depth. 
Matthew 18, beginning in verse 10, Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, in those few verses, we're going to see two things today about the Father's heart and how you and I are challenged to relate to the lost. The first thing that we're going to see is that we are not to despise the little ones. Do not despise the little ones. Now, we see this in verse 10, where Jesus speaks and says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now, in order for us to really understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to look a little bit at the context of this conversation. The first thing we need to see about the context is who the you is. He says, see that you do not despise. Well, who is the you? Who is Jesus talking to? Well, if we allow our eyes to scan back up in Matthew chapter 18, we remember that Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. Chapter 18, verse 1, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus, and they were having this conversation with him. That conversation is continuing in verse 10. So what Jesus is saying here is he's having a conversation with his close followers. He's having a conversation with the leaders of the church that he is birthing, of the movement that he is starting. Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples. And as he has this conversation with the disciples, he talks about not despising the little ones. Now, again, it's important for us in context to find out who the little ones are. And when we look back across chapter 18, we remember that as Jesus is talking to the disciples, he uses a small child as an object lesson where he he grabs a a toddler and he maybe holds that toddler in his arms or, or sets that toddler in front of the disciples who are having this debate about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus takes this small child and he places that child in front of them and he says, a little one like this is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' point was not that children were greater than adults, but his point was that Children are a worthy object lesson of the attitude that God desires in all of us. The little ones in the context are all of those who are coming to Jesus in humility. All of those who are coming to him and saying that their hope for eternity is found in him. Jesus' conversation with the disciples here in context is he says, Oh, you people who are leaders in my church, you who are going to take this movement and lead it after I am gone, you are not to despise anyone who is coming after me in faith. That's what Jesus says. Now, what does that word despise mean? Well, despise, that word literally means to look down on, to look down on. In context, it means to look down on as someone not worthy of care or compassion. So Jesus, in summary, in that statement, says, you leaders of my church, I do not 
want you to look down on as someone not worthy of care or compassion, anyone who is following after me. Don't do it. Now, why was that a relevant comment? It was a relevant comment because the disciples were having an argument about who was greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They wanted to rank it. They wanted a bell curve. They wanted to know who was at the top of the heap and who was at the bottom. When lists like that begin to get made, we find those who are worthy of God's love, care, and compassion and those that we can neglect or ignore. And Jesus cuts right to the chase with them and he says, I do not want you to rank people. Anyone who comes after me in faith has a spot inside of my kingdom. You are not to prefer one over the other. That's what Jesus was saying. That is what he was challenging his disciples with. Now, this is an important point, not just for the disciples, but this is an important point for us. You know, all too often, we want to rank and organize people into categories that we need to care for and those that we might be able to ignore. Sadly, this is part of the fall's impact on you and I. It mars our character. It clouds our vision. And Jesus calls the disciples and us to get beyond our prejudice, to see people as he does. Now, what are some of the ways in which we are tempted to despise some or to see them as someone that does not, is not worthy of, care or compassion that we might be able to ignore. Well, one of the categories that we're tempted to neglect are based on the area of appearance. We want to care or have compassion, concern for those who look like us, who act like us, who speak like we do, while neglecting or not caring for others. It's possible that even inside of the church, we might look down on some based on appearance. It's also possible that we might look down on some based on social status or wealth. We look at people and, and, and money is like a scorecard and people who have a lot of money, maybe they've done well, maybe they're more worthy of care, maybe they're more worthy of compassion. But Jesus says, in my church, it is not to work that way. We are not to relate and show favoritism based upon someone's wealth or on, on their social status in any way. That's not the way it works. We're not to despise some who lack resources inside of my family, Jesus says. Not only that, but we're not to despise those who don't have a, the gift that we like, right? You know, we're wired in such a way that there are people that kind of resonate with us. Remember, The gifts are sovereignly dispensed by God. The personality types are sovereignly dispensed by God among his people. But we're we're tempted to to only like those who do what we like them to do. In other words, if we're an intellectual person, we might want to honor and show care and compassion for those who are intellectual or smart or who are teachers. If we're somebody that has a very soft and tender heart, we might want to show compassion to those who also have a soft and tender and merciful heart, but we might not have any space for those that are a little more rigid in their determination of the universe. See, it's possible for us to want to divide up the church and those that are worthy of care and compassion and while neglecting others on the basis of appearance or social status or gifts that we like or, or even sin that has been committed in the past. You know, if you've sinned in certain ways, we can forgive you. But if you've sinned in other ways, then you're done. That sin might 
vary from person to person, from situation to situation, but Jesus says we are not to divide up the body. We are not to view those as worthy of care and compassion based on any of these kinds of things. Jesus lets us know that we are not to despise even one of these little ones. Now, what does he say next? Well, what Jesus says next, I think, is a, is a fascinating thing. It's a fascinating thing. Because he says at the end of verse 10, he says, for I tell you, in other words, he's going to give us a reason why we should care for all of the little ones, all of those who are coming to God in faith, why we should not differentiate between them in in that way. He says, I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Now, of all the reasons you thought Jesus might give, my guess is because of the angels was not one of them. And yet Jesus here begins to talk about angels. What is he talking about? Well, what Jesus is saying is that in the the, the scheme of things, of of the way that God has ordered the universe, angels have a very specific role. And that role is to serve those who have inherited salvation. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 says it this way. It says, are, are they not all ministering spirits, here talking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? In other words, angels in heaven are, are gathered in a huddle and their eyes are focused on their heavenly father. But when their heavenly father says to that angel, I have a task for you to accomplish, they immediately leave and they go and they do that task, which is often to serve those You and I, who have trusted in Christ, who will experience salvation. We see this in the Old Testament where angels go to wage war in the heavenly places against the spiritual forces of darkness like Elisha saw when his eyes were opened. We see that in even the Christmas story as an angel is sent as a messenger to serve the the people of God by announcing to Mary or to Joseph or to the shepherds the arrival of Jesus. You see, angels have their focus on the Father, and when the Father says, go and serve this person, the angels don't argue. They go and they do it. They don't show preference. They just do the will of the Father. That's what Jesus is saying. And remember, who is Jesus talking to here? He's talking to the disciples, the leader in his church. Jesus says, you leaders of the church, I want you to have your gaze on your heavenly Father. So that when he says that there is someone who is worthy of care and compassion, which is anyone who is turning to Christ, that we would not stop to take stock on whether they were worthy of that care and compassion, but that we would take our direction from the Father, just as an angel would, turn and go and minister to them. See, this is the picture of the church. It's a picture that we would not despise any of the little ones. This is the call that we have. And so as we think about an application of that for us, we are not to despise one another. So here's the thing. I want you to turn to somebody beside you and say, I don't despise you. You you didn't think you were going to say that today, did you? It's right here in the Bible, all right? And so we are not to despise the little ones. We're not to despise those who are coming God in in faith. But this idea 
gains greater application when we look at what Jesus says next. What he says in verses 12 through 14. It's in those verses that he says that we are all worth looking for. That each one of us is worth the pursuit of God. And the way that he does that is by telling this very familiar story about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and 99 stayed but one ran away and the heart of the shepherd was to go and to rescue the one. It's the verses that we read earlier. It's a very famous section of scripture. But Jesus uses that story here to make a very profound point that I want to highlight here in just a moment. But before I even highlight that point, I want to just acknowledge that inside the church, and I don't mean Wildwood, I just mean the church in general, like capital C, there's a little bit of a debate that goes on from time to time. And that debate is this, what really matters more? Somebody who doesn't know Jesus at all coming to faith in Christ, or somebody who has come to faith in Christ really growing in that relationship and maturing in that relationship. There's a debate that exists among church people that is which of these two, the lost or the found, what is really the the mission or what is more important? And there's a little bit of a debate that goes on that way. What's fascinating to me about this story in Matthew chapter 18 is it's a story that Jesus told more than once. And often when he would tell this story, he, he told it in different contexts to mean slightly different things. Now, as a, as a preacher, I love this. Even Jesus used an illustration again, right? But what we see is Jesus uses this story about the shepherd seeking out the sheep in Matthew 18 in a slightly different way than he uses it in Luke 15. Luke 15 is probably the most famous reference of the shepherd leaving the 99 in search of the one. Jesus tells that story along with two others all related to something that is lost. He talks about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and then a lost son, the prodigal son. In those trio of stories, the audience included tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees. That was the audience when Jesus told the story in in Luke 15. And I think when Jesus told that story in Luke 15, he was telling it with the idea of evangelism in mind. He was talking about the person that doesn't know Jesus coming into a relationship with him, and when that happens, there is a celebration that takes place in heaven. I think that's what Jesus was getting at in Luke 15. But in Luke 18, Jesus tells the very same story to make a slightly different point. In Luke 18, Jesus is not so much talking about evangelism as he is talking about someone inside of the church, one of the little ones who has begun by faith, but who has lost their way, who has wandered away from him. The person that began their relationship with Christ in high school, but wandered away in university. The person that began their relationship with Christ in university, but has gotten lost in the hubbub of everyday life. The person that that followed Christ when they were living without children, but is struggling to find their way now that they have them. The person that followed Christ when they were married, but now that they're widowed, they don't know so much about, or the person that has gone through such a significant life event that they have lost their way. You see, inside of Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about those folks. 
And what happens when Jesus talks about them in Matthew 18 is he says that the Father celebrates the same way when a believer who has lost their way is restored in fellowship as he is when one who is lost eternally comes and places their faith in Christ. The answer to the question, does God care about the lost or the found, the answer, friends, is an emphatic yes. The Father's heart is for them. Now, how many of you have ever spent some time working as a shepherd? Great. You guys are as agrarian as first service, all right? So um, because of that, we, we, we lose the, the punch of this story just a little bit because we've never worked as a shepherd. But many in this room have children of their own or you are a child who has grown up inside of a family. And so maybe this illustration will help drive this point home a little more. Um, every family has those apocryphal stories, right, where you're not sure that it ever really happened, but it's kind of a legend. But the story I'm getting ready to tell you is a story that at one time I wasn't certain about, but when my uncle died a couple of years ago, we verified that this was a fact. This is the God's honest truth. My aunt and uncle had six kids, and they would go on vacation in the summertime. And when they would go on vacation, they would take one of those beautiful big conversion vans. Think Scooby and Shaggy in the Mystery Machine with the carpet on the inside and the tube television. And they would load up in that thing and they would go all over the United States. And when you go on a long road trip, you cannot take enough fuel. And so you have to stop to go to the bathroom and get something to drink and to fill the car up with gas. And so they had made one of those stops on one of these trips. And they all filed out of the van And then after they got their refreshments and after they filled up with gas and after they went to the restroom, they all got back into the van except my cousin, Kenny. And as the family began to drive away, the children all turned and waved at Kenny, (laughs) who was left behind at the gas station. My aunt and uncle driving the van get out and they begin driving down the road. When I got about 10 miles down the road, My aunt had begun to do a head count, and she realized that they did not have Kenny with them. Now, what did they do at that point? Did they go, you know what? Five out of six is pretty good. (laughs) Did did they go, you know what? We, We probably, we probably could find another child somewhere on this trip to fill the spot of Kenny. No, what'd they do? They turned around as fast as they could and mystery machined it back to the gas station where they found Kenny sitting on the cooler drinking a bottle of soda. And Kenny was reunited to the family. Now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Why did they go back? They just didn't, they didn't need just seat fillers. They needed Kenny. They wanted Kenny. They wanted fellowship with their son. And so... They moved heaven and earth to make it happen. Friends, the same thing is true about the heart of our Heavenly Father towards each one of you. You're worth going back for. You're worth seeking out. You see, when we see inside of this passage, when the, when the, the, the shepherd finds the sheep, there's a celebration that happens. He doesn't shake his head and go, well, that was a waste of resources. That really slowed me down. That ruined my weekend. There's a celebration, it says, because the one that was lost is found. Friends, that's your heavenly Father's perspective towards you. 
that you would not wander away. If you've wandered away, our Heavenly Father wants a relationship with you here and now. It says here that the will of the Father in heaven is that none of these little ones should perish. We're used to seeing that kind of arrangement and thinking it's talking about eternity, but I think it's talking about today. Our Heavenly Father doesn't want to spend another day outside of relationship with you. He's pursued you in Christ. He's invited you in to fellowship with him, to live out life on mission with him now. And he doesn't want you to spend any time away. Now, where does that fit for each of us? Where, where, do, you, where do you fit inside of this story? Well, friends, I have to believe as we read this passage that some of you in this room are the one. You're someone that at one point was pursuing the Lord and today that you're not. And maybe you're here today because it's the start of a new year and you thought, you know, this year my New Year's resolution is to reconnect with the Lord and so you've come back here today. Guess what? As you come back in, your Father in heaven does not look at you and go, well, it's about time. No, even your desire to come back is a result of his pursuit of you. Just as my uncle didn't want to spend life without a Kenny. Our Heavenly Father doesn't want to spend another minute outside of fellowship with you. He is pursuing you. Some in this room, I'm sure, feel like that one. You're worth looking for. Your Father has made a way through through Christ eternally, but through the Spirit today and in the presence of community, He's inviting you into fellowship with Him. What an amazing thing. You're worth looking for. It's hard for us to grasp and hard for us to believe at times, but it's absolutely true. I remember a story from a college student that told me a couple of years ago, he had trusted Christ at some point in the past, had come to OU and had wandered away from God in the early part of his time in college, but starting the spring semester on this Sunday a few years ago, really felt the Lord stirring in his heart to reconnect with him. And he came back to the church and he reconnected inside of community. And when that happened, you know what happened? There was celebration in heaven because God desired fellowship with him. There was a missing seat on the van. You know, all too often um, we, we think of it as, well, there's just a bunch of seats in here, a bunch of nondescript people. That's not the way God looks at it. That's not the way we as church leaders should look at it. This is a collection of people for whom Christ died that we have the privilege of getting to know. We all matter because we all matter to him. If you're one of the one, then that's a significant reminder. But a second thing is for those of us who feel like we're a part of the 99, what do we take away from this passage? Well, remember, Jesus told this story to who? He told this story to the disciples. He told this story for you and I so that our hearts might be shaped around his. How is it that our heavenly father pursues and looks for the lost? He he does so through us. That when when we find our our memory going, I remember so-and-so, and I remember they used to be around here, but I don't know whatever happened to them. We don't go, well, I'm glad somebody else is sitting in that chair. No, our heart should be moved to go, I wonder what their story is. I wonder what's happening with them. Maybe we could reach out. Send that text, that phone call, that email. 
Many of you are in a small group community, either meeting during the week or, or on, on Sunday mornings. And when you think about that community, there are people who were there at one time who are not there anymore. What's your perspective and your attitude towards that? It's like, well, I'm, I'm glad we got somebody else to fill that seat. No, what, what happened to them? As the Lord brings them to mind, as he draws them to your attention, that you might reach out and find out why. Because they matter. They're worth looking for. People for whom Christ died. We see God's heart not only for the lost, but also for the found who have lost their way. And this is something that can't just be done by those who are official leaders. It's something that all of us are engaged and involved in. John Stott reminds us of this as he talks about the reality. He says it's very hard, the sociologists remind us, to relate effectively to more than 150 people. Therefore, members of larger churches are in great danger of being undercared for. Access to the minister is rare. The leaders are busy. Contact gets increasingly shallow. People become increasingly frustrated. Nobody in leadership really knows them, what their needs are, and what gifts they could contribute to the church. Therefore, it is imperative to break the congregation down into small caring units, fellowship groups, where love is the universal language, where the dozen or so people in the group meet regularly for enjoyment, Bible study, prayer over each other's needs, celebration, and acts of service. Friends, if you're one of the 99, why gather in a small group? Why gather in a Sunday group? And it's not just for you, though. There is benefit for you that you would be known, that your story is a part of the the story of the church as a whole. But it's also significant for you to be in proximity to others so that you know when they're not there, that you might be able to pursue them in love and invite them into fellowship. Friends, this is the heart of our Heavenly Father, and we get to live that out on a daily basis. Now, as we wrap this up today, and before we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, I want to give you a very quick update on my trip to Brazil. So if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, I asked you to pray as I was going to the nation of Brazil, Wildwood partnering with a church planter in that country and with Compassion International to plant a church in the city of Lagoa de San Francisco. Now, When I say Lagoa to San Francisco, I don't know what picture you have of this city. But let me give you a real-life picture of this city. That's it. Dusty streets, a couple of lonely dogs. Um, But inside of this little village, there are 6,000 people. And it really is at, at the end of the road. It feels that way. 24 hours of travel to get from here to there in in the middle of a forested region in northern Brazil sits this little community that seems forgotten by almost everyone. But it's not forgotten by God. 6,000 people in that city, 1,000 of them are young people under the age of 21. Last weekend, this was one collection of young people in that city that gathered for vacation Bible school as that church opened its doors for the first time. But how does that village that had no evangelical witness just as recently as 10 months ago, how is it that rooms are filled and hearts are filled? How how does God do that? Well, it happens because somebody said, it's not right. And we need to go and let them know about the goodness of Jesus Christ. And so the pastor, a man by the name of Joseph Fah, went door to door in that village 
meeting the residents and sharing the gospel with them and inviting them into fellowship and relationship with him. You know why Joseph did that? Because he knew that everyone was worth looking for. He could have stayed with the 99 and his other church back in Piri Piri, but he left the 99 in search of the one in this city. And not only did he search for them, but by the grace of God, they've begun to be found. And as that church gathered for their first time of worship, people young and old, senior citizens down to young people, over 40 who've trusted in Christ in the first 10 months of this church's life, gathered on stage to sing this. believers in that community were singing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. They all matter to him. And by God's grace, we get to seek out the one leaving the 99. Friends, what a joy we have to serve and to follow a God that loving and that generous that he desires to leave none of us behind. This morning, as we wrap up our our service, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together in a way that will help remind us that each one of us was pursued by God. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, taking bread and juice, symbols and reminders of the body and blood of Christ, broken for us and shed for us for the forgiveness of sins, we celebrate a meal that is open to anyone who has trusted in Christ um, for their forgiveness of their sins. And so as we gather now, I'm going to invite the team who is serving communion to go ahead and move into place. And as they move in, I want to pray for our time. And then we will pass the communion elements around the room as we sing a song together. Father, we thank you so much the fact that you uh, are the God of all things. You're the God of the billions. But Father, you also are the God of the one. And thank you that you have left the 99 in pursuit of us. And thank you that you desire a relationship with us. We we just thank you so much for that privilege um, of being connected to you because of your grace. And so, Father, we pray now that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and as we sing together, that our hearts would celebrate with you for the fellowship and the connection that are available in Jesus. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.